and welcome to Date Night at the Movies. Or How I Spent My Babysitter Money. I'm Jess. I'm Jordan. And this week we're talking Knives, Knives Out. Out. It's It's been a while again, hasn't it? Yes. You know, you mentioned something about like, it's kind of felt like a chore yeah. for the past couple of episodes. And honest to goodness, I was, I've was i been thinking about when you said that. Because I was like, yeah, that's true. I also really didn't like the last series of movies we went and saw. Yeah. Um, and when we have to, like, we have to. When we decide to make the choice to, like, to do this and we're sharing our thoughts and we're sharing our opinions and to have to revisit it and to really, like, get to why you don't like it and then really deep down you realize, oh, I'm, like, a very sub, like, subatomic level. I really don't like these movies. Yeah. And well, so I just, I, for me, I really wasn't having fun. <laughs> so, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, we did like the last movie that we saw, which was Dr. Sleep. Dr. Sleep was good, but it um, also, too, uh, to me, Dr. Sleep was very, like, cut, and, like, it it was like, well, this was good. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I think I was still really, also, um, you know, for me, I've been in the middle of just, like, what, six solid months of just, I would maybe let's say five solid months of like work Mm. and then having, and working on stories, watching other people's stories. And for me, when I saw Dr. Sleep, I was like, well, this is a very simple, like it didn't take that many twists and turns. It kind of like went the path. Yeah. And I kind of felt like, well, I don't know what to talk about. I got you. It was good. And then and? There, were, there was Zombieland, but of course, you know, we had to, we were trying to have journalistic integrity on Zombieland. Yeah. And Zombieland, but also Zombieland was something that like A went to B, went to C, went to D, right? It wasn't, a, the movie didn't want to break ground. Yeah. Uh, if anything, it just didn't want to piss off fans. Yeah. You know, these people have been waiting 10 years to do it. And yes, I worked on the movie. Um, so, uh, which, you know, was for me was a career highlight. I think I mentioned this. I So I started doing stunts in 2009, like doing stunts. I've been wanting to be a stunt woman for longer, but it's a journey. And so I started actively doing stunt work in 2009. So to be able to work on it, you know, I really didn't want to say anything bad things because I really liked the original. Yeah. But the original is also not like... Whoa, what a movie. Yeah, I will say though, so I started going another on another movie purge because I realized that we just have too many physical movies that we never revisit. And I will say that Zombieland is one of the ones that made the cut. We're keeping it, so. There you have it. Yeah. Um, um, and two, it's like, it wasn't like, whoa, holy moly. It was good. It was fine. Yeah. You know, I think 2019 has kind of been a weird year for movies. <laughs> it seems like it's really like, it's really tail heavy on when some of the better movies are being released, you know? Uh, Cause there are a lot that I really wanted to see this year. And I realized that most of them are coming out around this time, you know, knives out included. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, like, you know, we had some movies that we enjoyed seeing. You know, there was like, you know, Shazam, which we both enjoyed. Uh, and again, we had a really good theater experience for that. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what kind of sold that. And then like Avengers Endgame, which we both enjoyed. I don't think that's one that we're going to necessarily go back and rewatch a lot. But like, no. that hasn't soured for me. No. Um, and then like Godzilla, which was fun. But like we both said, it's like, well, we're probably not going to end up rewatching that anytime soon. It was fine. But yeah, so 2019 has been a year for... We'll have a recap episode and everything, but it's kind of been a year for, well, that movie was okay. And I feel like the movies that we really, because we do this podcast, we tend to choose movies that's like, okay, especially this podcast is about a year old at this point, if you're listening in the future. (laughs) Well, year and a half, because we want the future people to be, you know, correct whenever they go back and they talk to us about it. Touche. Yes. Um, And, you know, we pick movies that, like, well... Are our listeners going to want to listen about this movie? Mm-hmm. And I think we forwent some, like, I really, I did want to see Hustlers. Yeah. And I still want to see Hustlers. Mm-hmm. We, you're, you're getting a SAG screener for it, though. Am I? Yeah. That's why I sent you that email, because I haven't had a chance to we're, open it. We're getting some good ones. We may have to do, like, we may just have to do a SAG screener episode. And honestly, too, we talked about this in our last episode, is I think the the format of the podcast is going to slowly evolve and change. We've mm-hmm. got some really big life events coming up. Uh, we've got work. And I think 
in this past few months, especially with me picking up this newer side of my my career, mm-hmm. it's really not left a lot of just time. Yeah. Um, and I'm in, you know, I think we're also really interested in sharing at this point, uh, it's, we've, we're recording this in 2019 mm-hmm. and Jordan and I have been married almost 10 years. Yep. It'll be 10 years in May of, tw- uh, June. June of 2020. And wow. I, that makes me look great. <laughs> <laughs> but there's something to be said about, you know, still liking each other and still going on date nights and taking time for one another. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we still love talking about movies, um, but it's interesting when this is what we do for a living too. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And we've talked about, you know, doing some more like Netflix originals because a, you know, that's starting to become a really big part of the industry is Netflix and Amazon, uh, originals. Uh, Hulu hasn't really gotten into original movies. They're doing some original TV series, but I'll be interested to see what that is. Um, I really want to see The Irishman, but since you haven't liked the last few movies, I've been very hesitant on being like, Jess, do you want to watch it? Because honestly, honestly, after the last few episodes, I was almost like, do we just need to stop doing this podcast? Because I think that you are just not having fun. I mean, I, I wouldn't say like that, like that bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it, it was starting. It was starting to not be very fun. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, for those of you who picked up on that, congratulations! You can all win whatever bets you had placed. And then for those of you who didn't, well, I'm glad we made it this far. Yeah. Um, housekeeping. Uh, we have one dog of the podcast. Yes, I am. Uh, I'm. I'm trapped. Yeah, Madison has completely trapped uh, Jessica on the chair. Somehow, I got the mic stands all backwards. I don't know how that happened, but uh, normally you're able to handle the Madison and the mic stand without it getting in her way, and this time that just did not happen. No, but she's asleep. Yeah, so if you hear her sleep and if you hear things bump against the mic stand, that's Madison. It's just a baby dog. Um... Do you have any uh, dates in film history to share? I do. Um, <clears throat> do do do. I've I closed out of it like a winner. Okay. The so there's a bunch of stuff um, going on, but the most notable to me mm-hmm. is in so today uh, is December eighteenth. Mm-hmm. In 1963, the Pink Panther film premieres, premieres, directed by Blake Edwards and starring Peter Sellers and David Niven, with theme by Henry Mancini. Uh, did you watch the Pink Panther movies growing up? Yeah, I I did too. But I know that I know that like they're not everybody's thing, but they were they were a thousand percent my dad's thing. So I didn't know if that was like your parents' thing or not. My parents for sure, and my dad was like, "You have to watch these." And I remember being young and thinking they're funny. Yeah, I haven't seen them in a long time. I remember enjoying them when I was younger, but I don't remember anything about them. That's fair. Uh, so before we get in the movie, I'm just looking up some upcoming movies that we have. Uh, that we have coming up, at least for the rest of the year. Uh, ones that I want to see, obviously, there's Star Wars, which we have our Christmas Day tickets for that. Yes. Uh, I don't know how to feel about Bombshell, but we're going to get a uh, SAG screener for that anyway. I, I kind of want to see it. Mm-hmm. It Now, if you have been listening to this podcast long enough, you know kind of where we lean. Especially whenever it comes to Fox News. Yeah, so you have an idea of where we lean. Uh, so I kind of want to see it for that. I feel like it'll feel good. Yeah. And well, if you're, and if this is December, so this is December eighteenth, two thousand nineteen. If you're listening to the future, this is a historic date in American history. Yes, it which is. we will leave it be. But I'm interested in seeing Bombshell for that reason. Um, yeah. Now, and to be fair, it is uh, it is directed by Jay Roach, who most people just know him from Meet the Parents and uh, Austin Powers. Uh-huh. Uh, but he's he's made like a really interesting side career for himself doing like political movies for HBO. Like he did Recount, he did the Sarah Palin one, uh, and it was also written by the co writer of uh, of Vice, and I'm pretty sure that he did The Big Short too. Oh, that's cool. So I think that's right. Yeah. Um, I, it did have that feel to it. It definitely did. I almost expected it to be an Adam McKay movie, but I was like, I didn't hear that he was doing this yeah, movie. Yeah, and I'm a huge Adam McKay fan. Yeah, so. I, I can't wait to see what he does next, because uh, I've rewatched Vice in the last year, and it still holds up. And same with The Big Short. 
Um, movie I have absolutely no interest in seeing, and I hope that this isn't one you want to see, is Cats. Oh, man. No. Good. Thank God. Um, yeah. How did they make the second trailer look worse? I don't know. Although, so I'm a huge Jonathan Van Ness fan and I am a huge fan of his podcast, which I'm a few episodes behind. Um, and I'm like a huge fan and he, I guess, was invited to the premiere, I guess it was last night. Mm -hmm. Uh, and he was kind of raving about it, which he's got to be, you know, he's got to say nice things. It's probably, you know celebrities and whatever but I was like I don't know so it might be it I don't know if I want to pay like if we lived in LA this would have been like cheap theater if we have time yeah I am tempted to see it just to be like is it as horrific if we see it I will definitely be going into it uh unobjective Oh, it'll be yeah. There's no yeah. way. Um, I remember. So apparently, a big thing besides the fact that everything looked really creepy, and all they had to do was put cat noses like on the Snapchat filter on everybody, know, and it would have been fine. I don't understand why they look so much like people. Um, but uh, apparently, a big criticism of it was it, this movie is taking it so seriously. So the new trailer is all like Pratt Falls and Rebel Wilson, and I'm gonna be honest. I have tried and I have tried and I have tried. I do not think Rebel Wilson is funny. Fair enough. You know, and that's definitely not to say that I have I have a problem with female comedians. A lot of people who I think are the funniest people on the planet working are females. But Rebel Wilson does not make me laugh. And seeing her be like, you don't mess with a crazy cat, then hitting herself with a chain immediately makes me want to not see this movie. Yeah. Um, and also she's, I, I think too, Rebel Wilson... In the movies that where she's good, it's situational comedy. She's mm-hmm. not good at physical comedy. Although the caveat to that is her and bridesmaids pouring the peas down her back right. is objectively funny. Yeah, yeah. She, I, I'm fine with her and bridesmaids. I have not seen her in anything else that I was like, I want to see more of this person. Well, to me too. They're trying to put her in the Amy Schumer bubble, and like let Amy Schumer be Amy Schumer. Yeah, and I feel like Rebel Wilson is. They're they're molding her to be something like that, it's and like, I really think that's unfair. If you're a plus size comedic actor, we're only going to let you do one thing, right? And that's what they're doing right now. Yeah. And it's it's kind of like how they tried to make Kevin James the new Chris Farley, right? And it's like he's not. Yeah, like I never got into King of Queens, but I liked him on that. Then whenever he started doing like the Zookeeper and the Paul Blart movies and things like that, it's like just. Just let the memory of Chris Farley die. Yeah. Well, and but or like live whatever. Um, that's fair. I think probably live is better. Yeah. Um, but like Grown Ups, mm-hmm. which was Adam Sandler, Kevin Hart, like Kevin James. It was like everybody, right? Yeah. Those are funny. I actually haven't seen Grown Ups. I've seen clips of. It's fine. It yeah. is what it is. It, it's. I'm, I imagine it's like the Water Boy, right? Yeah. Leave it. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. Leave it be. It's fine. You know, like that's where, and Kevin James is is a better actor, mm-hmm. and Chris Farley was too. But Chris Farley again was a comedic, physical comedic actor. Yeah, he could pull those things off because that was part of his truth. Yeah. So like, come on, everybody. Um, the other two movies that I want to see this year. There's Little Women coming out, but I'm, I mean, I never connected with Little Women. I don't even remember anything about the '94 one except the fact that. The soundtrack's really good. It's another Thomas Newman one. Yeah. Uh, this one is done by, uh, it's not, is it Greta Gerwig? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, of course, we both liked Lady Bird. We didn't love Lady Bird, but we both said that it was a very well put together movie and it was exactly the movie that she set out to make. So. Yeah. And and we don't have to be big fans of it to for it to do what it set out to do. Yeah. Um, I don't think it did what critics said it did. Yeah. It. It's like uh, I heard people say about Widows, and I disagree about this, is that people thought Widows was uh, more insightful than it actually was. I uh, mean, I get that because Widows is an action movie. And yeah. action movies, you kind of have to be like, yes, there's some depth to it. Mm-hmm. But the biggest thing about Widows is that movie in 10 years will be normal. Yeah. That movie right now is groundbreaking. Yeah. But in 10 years, that movie will be normal. Yeah. Well, the other two movies that I want to see for the rest of the year, not getting into anything past December, is uh, 1917, which is the Sam Mendes uh, World War One movie. Okay, I've yeah. heard nothing but good things about mm-hmm. it, and of course, I want to hear what Thomas Newman does in a uh, in a war movie. 
the other one is Uncut Gems. Have you heard much about this one? Mm-mm. So this is done by the Safdie brothers. They did a movie uh, a couple years ago that I really liked. Uh, it was called Good Time, and it has Robert Pattinson in it. And essentially, he's just like the lowest low-life criminal you could possibly be, and he's trying to save his brother, not realizing that he's the one causing his brother all the problems. Uh, it's a, it's actually a really good movie, and Pattinson is great in it. That's cool. Uh, so Uncut Gems is a, the next one from the Safdie brothers. Uh, they're, I love their composer. Uh, it's On a Trick's Point Never. He's another electronic musician. But this one stars Adam Sandler. And this, people are actually saying Adam Sandler's so good in this, this could be his Oscar nomination. Oh, wow. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, He's actually threatened, I'm assuming jokingly, that if he doesn't get an Oscar for this, he's going to make a movie that's even worse than Jack and Jill. Oh, no. (laughs) Please give Adam Sandler an Oscar. (laughs) (laughs) Please nominate him. So, yeah, those are the ones I want to see. We'll see if we actually get a chance to see them before years out. that's a lot of movies. Well, yeah, Star Wars we already have have, uh, planned because we bought our tickets in advance for that. Uh, Our Christmas Day, we didn't do it last year because they released Solo in May, which was stupid. Ruiners. Uh, But uh, we go see Star Wars, then we eat Chinese food at the local Chinese place where, like, I call in and they recognize my phone number. (laughs) Uh, And then the other two, we'll definitely try and see if we can see them, even if we don't do episodes on them. I'd still want to just see those movies. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so should we actually get back on track? Knives out. Knives out. So this one... I remember wanting to see it just because I'm a Ryan Johnson fan. Mm-hmm. You know, I whenever people ask me about The Last Jedi, and I work so hard not to get in Last Jedi arguments, uh, it's actually exhausting sometimes <laughs> trying not to talk about that movie with people who just hate it. Yeah. Uh, I like The Last Jedi. It's telling that it's the only Star Wars movie I've only seen twice. But overall, I liked it. And I was totally fine with uh, I was totally fine with everything Ryan Johnson did in it, except for the Casino Planet. That's a little prequely for me. That's fair. Um, but uh, so, but Ryan Johnson, I'm a fan of his going all the way back to Brick. I love everything he does, and he's very good at subverting expectations, which is another reason why people don't like The Last Jedi. Yeah. Um, so whenever he w- I heard that he just wanted to do an Agatha Christie movie. I was like, all right, I'm interested to see what he does here. Yeah. Uh, what should we rate this one in? Does it have to be knives? Okay. What were you going to say? Knives. Okay. Syringes. Now let's do knives. Now here's something I want to throw at you. Okay. Because this is something that you tend to be good at. What's the log line for this movie? Uh... You take an Agatha Christie novel and you swap out the main character for a Southern gentleman and add in, actually, Agatha Christie levels of racism, too. Damn. (laughs) Uh, But it knows exactly what it's doing. That's not one of my better log lines, but... How would you tell uh, your sister to go see this movie? I would say that if you like murder mystery movies and you like murder mystery movies that wink at you the whole time... (laughs) Uh, and stick a landing, this is the one you need to see. Um, I never got to see the Kenneth Branagh uh, Murder on the Orient Express, but I like movies like that. Yeah, I like this one because it's like, yeah, I'm going to give you what you want, but we, we all know what we're doing here, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, how many how many knives would you give this movie? I'm going to give this um, a solid four and a half. I'm going to give it four and a half, too. Yeah. Uh, what did you like about it? Um, I... W- <sighs> I liked it. Um, I liked it because it followed A to B to C, but it didn't go through the whole. It went through the whole alphabet, but it didn't go chronologically. Right. And um, one thing uh, that I said out loud was, "This movie, this movie, kind of let you know kind of where it was going." Mm-hmm. It was never fully, like, you never knew what the fully fulfillment of this movie was until the movie ended. I will give it that. Right. Um, the score was brilliant because the, it was the, mute to me, it was the music that made me go, hold on, the game's still afoot. Right. The, the, the music was just as playful as the movie. Yeah. And even when it was like, whenever, it, and it wasn't. And it wasn't twisting and turning in the way that you're like, oh, it's going to be a big twist. It was it was more along the lines of, no, this is following something that makes complete and total sense. And the end is 
heartbreaking and full of gravitas. Yeah. And I mean, I've said it until I'm blue in the face, but when a movie grounds itself in some form of truth, right? This movie's a little outlandish yeah. in, a, in a really fun and great way. Yeah. But it roots itself in, in a true tragedy. Mm-hmm. And it reminds you why you, you cared the entire time. Right. Totally. Well, the movie never loses sight of the characters. And the characters are just, they're just big enough without being cartoons. And this is definitely a movie for people who just like Clue, but love mysteries. Yeah. Because uh, this definitely isn't as goofy as Clue is. No. Um, but it def- But Clue is definitely on archetypes. Yeah. Like, it operates off of archetypes. Yeah. This movie still has everything grounded. And that's what Ryan Johnson's really good at. Uh Especially because he tends to work with a lot of high concept stuff. And then, like, it's almost like he comes up with the concept first and then he has to figure out how to ground it, you know? Yeah. Uh, he did that with uh, Brick, which was, you know, well, let's take a film noir and set it in a California high school. And then from there, it's like, wow, everything feels real. And then the Brothers Bloom, which is the one that a lot, if people don't like one of his movies that's not Star Wars, that's the one that they don't like. But so weird to me. I know. It's like, it's such a pleasing movie to watch, even though it's like actually really sad at the end, you know? Kind of like this. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, his character work is great. I loved it for all the reasons that you said. Um, I loved it because it constantly kept you going, even though, spoiler alert, this plays out what happens really early on. And I did not expect it to do that. Um, so it is But, a, spoiler alert, it's not. Exactly. Uh, it, it is and it isn't. Take with that what you will. Um, the performances were great. Uh, the camera work was really good, too. Mm-hmm. Um, it had such a frenetic pace without feeling like it, you were uh, having a heart attack. Um, yes, I, think I that, agree. I think that this is one of the best musical scores of the year, too. Uh it's, it's put together just so well. It comments on the film. It leads you. It holds your hand in just the right way. And we usually talk about how we don't really like music that just holds your hand. But this movie, I think, needed it. And uh, it, it put that out great. Uh, even though you know kind of what happens at the very beginning, it still leaves you with enough wanting enough to keep following the movie so that way you can actually see what the turn actually is. That's fair. And I will say... That yes, it it does hand you it does give you the cards, but you do realize the like the entire time that those aren't all the cards. Yeah, and you realize I can, I know what game we're playing, and I know these are my cards, but I feel like that like the dealer's gonna give me one more. Like yeah, you, I I this movie it's not a thriller like edge of your seat. It's it, but my brain wouldn't stop. Right, and honestly. We we saw it in a fairly decently crowded theater, and yeah. everybody seemed to be doing that too. Yeah, like this was one where the whole theater, everybody was whispering to the people who they came and saw the movie with. Yes, and it was never a problem because no. we were all trying to figure it out. Well, because it wasn't it wasn't incessant or non focused chitter chatter. Yeah, it was people being like, "Wait, what just happened?" And then like you know, we're having to say like. I went, I went to go refill our drink and I came back and Jessica was putting me through everything that I missed and I heard somebody else doing the exact same thing. You yeah. Know? Um, I would do want to mention, so because Jordan and I are, neither of us are like our camera operators, right? So we, Jordan brought out the cinematography and we do just kind of gloss over cinematography a lot. Mm-hmm. The cinematographer for this was, was uh, Steve Yedlin um, and he has done a lot of Ryan Johnson's movies. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he did Looper, Brick. Um, he did an early episode. Uh, he did um, The Last Jedi, Brothers Bloom. So he's done... A, and I will say, um, this cinematographer has really, like, is synonymous with Ryan Johnson. Right. Like, these... you. It, um, you call him Wes Anderson with less whimsy. Uh, no, that's what I call Noah Baumbach. Oh, well, this is awfully close. Yeah. So it has it has whimsy, it has energy, but things are in there's sharp colors mixed with a lot of shadow. Well, you know, if we're gonna talk about like comparing it to like a Wes Anderson movie, I think I can figure out at least for this movie how it compares. Because Wes Anderson movies, 
everybody talks about the color, but another thing about it is that everything is super symmetrical, right? Yeah. It's almost like Ryan Johnson and his cinematographer set up a super symmetrical shot and then just skewed certain things slightly off center just to give the shot a little bit of a little bit of movement. But they do really good at give th- giving things everything has depth. Mm-hmm. And to me it's almost there's so many things that are just like textbook beautiful cinematography yeah in the very beginning um you have marta at her kitchen table with her family Uh and they're at the kitchen table and in the foreground are these almost like rotten bananas yeah and that's not the focus but it's in the foreground and they just do really beautiful things like that that just really tell you it's like this this team of filmmakers from Mm -hmm. set deck to cinematography to lighting really have a really keyed in um, perception of what they're trying to tell and things there's just there's richness to the world and they Mm -hmm. give you um, and this has been a complaint in several movies that we've seen over the past year and year and a half is when they don't let you see the world yeah it's like give me the world I have to have the world Otherwise, I don't know what the crap we're doing. Exactly. And this, it definitely did a great job with that. The the Bananas is a prime example. Uh, but the whole movie just has this depth to it. When yeah. she goes into the abandoned building, how, uh, you know, you had even mentioned, was that there whenever she first walked in? And I, I was thinking about it, and it was, but they just blended that in with all the rest of the shadows and the shapes that were in that shot. Uh, it... I mean, it makes it look like you're watching a 3D movie sometimes. Yeah. Uh, and then there's a scene with Marta near the beginning where she like runs out a door and then she sits down on stairs. Uh, what I love what they did there is they kept the camera focused at a certain point. They didn't keep it focused on her. So as she sits down and she's kind of freaking out, she's constantly going in and out of focus because the camera's just focused on one particular point. Uh, yeah. And, but then whenever she would come into frame, it just made it that much more clear and that much more insistent. So, you know, there's just a lot that, there's a lot of shots that they set up in here that I think just did it perfectly. Yeah, I so agree. Um, Let's talk about the cast. So, what'd you think about Daniel Craig's Southern accent? Love it. It took me a second to catch on to it, but once I did, I was like, yeah, I am on board. And I liked that they, it was, it was outlandish. It was big. And I appreciate that. Um... One, there was the constant KFC joke, which I wasn't mad at. No, that was, it was funny. Um, CSI KFC is a solid joke. Uh, yeah, solid, solid joke. Um, I yeah, I wasn't mad at it. It was done really well. It was it was over the top. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I'm I'm just looking at the cast right now. Um, I you know I just loved Daniel Craig, and I thought what a brilliant release date too. At, on the on the like not the eve, but on the eve of No Time to Kill going to be released. No Time to Die. No Time to Die. Yeah, it, they're James Bond titles. They're just words that are jumbled together. Yeah, his last James Bond. Yeah, and like that has been his persona for so long, mm-hmm. and he's you forget he's a he's an, a very good actor. One one thing I would notice too is that uh, Daniel Craig has had the same haircut for the last like fifteen years, and I don't think that's a problem. Uh, yeah, because I, but like, even with that, like he, there's a certain shot whenever he takes off his jacket, he looks like James Bond. Yeah, but you're not because he does have the haircut. He does have. I mean, he's still in in his same James Bond physique and everything. But his skin wasn't perfect. Right, but but that's what I'm saying is that there are just little things that that they do to him and that he does to himself that make it be like, oh well, it's not like, you know. I'm trying to th- trying to think of a good example. Michael Shannon always comes into a movie with a different look. Uh, yeah, but he always looks like Michael Shannon, which is he, he can't help it. He, you know, it's funny. Um, so I went to so for our listeners, I went to DePaul. Jordan knows that. Uh, <laughs> it's it's a part of my history that yeah. we all know. Um, and Michael Shannon uh, didn't go to DePaul, but he was a Chicago actor, and everyone. I, all of my teachers knew Michael Shannon. Um, and when I was in college, he was still more known as a theater actor. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, because he hadn't done Revolutionary Road yet, and that was kind of his first... Um, like, he had done Mud. He'd he done Mud? He'd done Mud. Gotcha. Um, and um, 
she had a cast of his face and John C. Riley's, and uh-huh. she was like, and this is my makeup teacher, sorry, my makeup teacher. We did like face casts and we learned like molding and some makeup because um, the theater program there is very wonderful. And even for the fine arts degree, like we had a, a lot to learn and a lot of well-rounding, which is great. But she was like, you can't not make either of those men not look like themselves. You mm-hmm. can put accoutrement on them, but you can't like transform them. They still like like John C. Riley and Michael Shannon. And I've met Michael Shannon. Would he remember me? No, but I saw him in this one man show uh, at the Red Orchid Theater in Chicago. That man has the biggest head I have <laughs> ever seen. I have ever seen. What I love about Michael Shannon are like the stories you hear about him. Like, for example, he'll go to just like a local dive bar to watch the Oscars, you know? I am all about it. Yeah. Um, but let's get back to Daniel Craig before we get on to Michael Shannon, for example. Uh, like you said, I really love the accent. It, I, like I said, it was uh, it kept him big without being cartoony, and he was still grounded. And every time he talked about the donut... That last <laughs> monologue. <laughs> so I don't really audition as an actor anymore. I want to learn that monologue. And if someone goes, hey, do you have a monologue? That's yeah. what I want to pull out. Yeah. I I say go for it because it got to the point where like it almost made me feel dizzy how many times he was going into I mean you it. need to doctor it with some other dialogue from other places. Yeah. But it's so good. But I think it was cut in with the um with Marta's response to it. Yeah. Which was like Oh my God, it was so good. Well, and plus with the, all the detectives. Yeah. Which honestly though, let's say this, we can't talk about the whole cast. Right. We will be here for 10 hours. Right. It's a, it is a big ensemble movie. There is legitimately like one lead role in here. And honestly, Daniel Craig is kind of the supporting role. But he's so good. He's so, I mean, that's not saying anything about his performance. I'm just saying that, like, there is one support, there's one real main role in this movie that you don't know going into it. That's uh, true. Uh, yeah, the, the whole cast is great. You know, Jamie Lee Curtis is always great. I love, I love that she's gotten old and been like, Mm-hmm. I don't give a like. It, it's all. I think she. I mean, because she's married to Christopher Guest, and the old like the more that she talks as time goes on, she definitely tends to. I think uh, take on some of the some of Christopher Guest's uh, mannerisms. Like obviously she's her own person, and she's always been really matter of fact. But like when she was talking about the Halloween movie, and she was like, you know, and like remember, it's just a movie. You know, it's just a movie. I'm like, that is exactly what I would expect Christopher <laughs> Guest to say about something. But she's brilliant. Michael Shannon can't help but be brilliant. Yeah, Michael Shannon was great. Christopher Plummer's always good. I loved him in this role. I did too. You, uh, one thing we t- we you know we went on and on about being grounded, but that. The he immediately the in this role was someone that you knew was genuine and lovely. Like he immediately gave you the sense that, of who this person was mm-hmm. as a whole. See, I actually felt a little differently. Like I, I still felt that about him, but there was always something. Maybe it's just because of the overall mystery and tone of the movie, where I was like, right, but I think there's something else going on underneath him. Uh, maybe I yeah. didn't quite. I mean, I saw once we got to the end of the movie. I didn't feel that anymore. Yeah, once we got to the end, I definitely felt exactly how you're talking about. But that's one thing this movie does great, too, is that, like, to me, there could have been something sinister about him, but there could have also been just something genuine and warm, the same way that I couldn't tell till the end of the movie if uh, Daniel Craig's character was actually good at his job or not. I know! Yeah. <laughs> Madison's bumping up against it. I'm Maddie. Uh, yeah, um, see, there, there's some... Um, I'm, I I want to give a shout out to another one of my favorites, uh, Lakeith Stanfield, in this movie. I know he's so good. Yeah, he he's kind. I mean, of course, they're both from Atlanta, but uh, or the show Atlanta. But he's kind of like Brian Tyree Henry, where I just want to see him in things, you know. Uh, yeah. I want to give a shout out to to Noah Segan, who played the state trooper. Yeah. Uh, he's in every single one of Ryan Johnson's movies. Oh, funny. Uh, ever since ever since Brick. Um, and even like when Ryan Johnson directed the penultimate episode of uh, Breaking Bad, uh, he cast Noah Segan in a cameo of that. He was the firefighter who found Walter White's daughter. Um, but he kind of had this like 
this, oh, shucks, I'm just along for the ride mentality it about great, it. It was great, It was so good. But he was having such a good time. I know. I feel like his character was all of us. Yeah. Being like, I don't know, but I'm having a good time. I think that's the thing about every actor in this movie is that they were just all in. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of, um, and uh, Anna, de, uh, Anna de Armas, who played Marta. Now, she's the main character of this movie. But you had no idea going into it. Right. I mean, obviously, the posters are going to focus more on Daniel Craig and Jamie Lee Curtis. But Marta is the main character of this movie. And I was on board with her the whole way. And y'all... Anna de Amas is the name that is not a household name, uh-huh. but she's in all the movies. Yeah. She's n- rated number two on IMDb Pro, mm-hmm. um, which honestly, the star ratings mean almost nothing. Uh, that just means that people search her whenever the movie comes out. Yes. And it, it has to be like th- she's in movies right now, such as No Time to Die, mm-hmm. Knives Out, right? So. Her yeah. movies are her movies themselves are being searched. She was in this really weird Eli Roth movie uh, called Knock Knock that starred Keanu Reeves, where basically she and the uh, and another girl show up at Keanu Reeves' house, have a three way with him, and then essentially hold him hostage in his own home. That's a lot. It that's a great way to describe that movie. <laughs> also, y'all, she's got one, two, three. Four movies in post production right now. Yeah, girlfriend. She she's been blown up. She was she played the AI unit yes, in, in Blade Runner. Yes, that was gonna be my next thing. And she so, was, I mean, great in that. Yeah, I mean, holy. She is somebody who's in the last couple of years has really started to blow up. And honestly, like you could be cynical and be like, "Well, she's hot," and it's like, "Yes, she is." But I honestly think that it's like, yeah, she worked her ass off, and now she's here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm 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 all on board for Anna de Armas. Yeah, she's awesome. Yeah, um, and she's great in this movie. Her character has this wonderful quirk and wonderful trait about her that it's not only something that they use to build the character, but it is a major plot point. Can we talk about that yet? Um, well, do we need to take a break? Uh, well, let's talk music a little bit. Are there any stunts you want to talk about? Because there's this isn't a very stunt heavy movie. It isn't a very stunt-heavy movie. Um, it does have, to quote Lakeith Sanfield, the dumbest car chase ever. <laughs> I do love that. Yeah. And that car chase is um, remarkably difficult. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, as far as, like, there was her climbing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it was something, so I just worked on another movie where they had someone like drop down from a roof into a window. Yeah. And one thing that I think maybe is kind of never talked about, cause it's like, oh, she's just climbing. Oh, they're just on a roof. Right. And something that you, that you may not realize about, um, stunts in general is people are rigged mm-hmm. and you might be like, well, that's not, not a big deal. Like I put the Christmas lights on our roof. Right. Yeah. Um, but it, I'm just, I'm like thinking it, I'm just thinking about everything and I'm just like, you know, we, we, I think we throw safety out of the window so often uh-huh. and like when she was climbing, it is very, very likely one, it was probably a stunt double, right? There's some really like hefty falls, just splats in this movie. Yeah. Those are stunt doubles. Most likely her stunt double climbing, but also just, you know, for, for folks watching, the reason we're able to watch so many of these stunts and accidents do happen, but safety is really paramount. And part of the reason why we can safely, we can watch these things and we inherently know that they're safe. And part of that is really good. Like stunt rigging, stunt coordinating, good stunt performing is you make it safe to a point where it is the illusion of danger. It is the illusion. Now, Yes, there is actual danger. Yes, there's actual things. People do get hurt. Things happen. Yes, you're 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 balancing on this teeter totter of like not okay and okay all at the same time. Mm-hmm. This I'm completely aware of, but even just something as her simple as her like climbing, yeah, it it could very likely be her rigged. Yeah, um, and that's just something that I wanted. I, it just is the first thing that came to mind. Being like that seems so simple, but the moment you put it on a movie set. And you put people around it and you have to do it. Um, I mean, that person climbed that probably no less than 10 times. Right. And as opposed to being on my roof, right, I'm up there for what? 
It took me less than an hour yeah. to put our Christmas lights on. When I go up there and blow off the roof, mm-hmm. I'm up there for 15 minutes yeah. tops. My risk level goes down. But every time you climb, your risk level goes up. Right. Um, Marta, it, you know, the kicking in of the faux window mm-hmm. may or may not have been high up. Yeah. And those are all things that whenever you're coordinating something or thinking about how is this going to get done, it's the question of how safe is this? Right. And how repeatable is it? And when something goes wrong in real life, you go to the hospital and you go to the emergency room. Same thing happens on a film set. But if Ana de Armas falls and gets hurt or her stunt double, who we do need to repeat this 10 times tonight, Mm -hmm. gets hurt. And we don't have someone to finish this night. Um, people are easily replaced, but not that easily replaced. Yeah. And so it just comes, it, the first thing that comes to my mind is there's a reason that really highly trained people do these jobs and something that seems so simple. Part of the reason that we get lulled into this like, oh, this is inherently safe because I'm watching this movie is because of the hard work of these, of these stunt teams. Right. You know, stunts and porn, everybody thinks they can do it. I know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I thought, yeah, with the stunts that they had in this movie, there weren't a lot, but everything everything was great. You know, I was never taken out of the movie. Uh, they had a couple of really great car crashes in the side of buildings, too. Yeah. And those look so simple, but they weren't massive car wrecks. Like, it had to be, like, just at the right angle. What I liked about them, too, is that they didn't speed ramp it up, is that it still felt like they were only going about 20 miles an hour. He just so happened to hit the corner of a brick building. Yeah, and and her zipping around in her little car, uh-huh. I mean, that wasn't that fast either, yeah. but it was shot really well. It wasn't speed ramped, and that, I mean, I don't like that's hard driving. Yeah. Like, you don't even like driving next to construction cones. No, I I don't. I tend to be kind of a nervous driver uh, if if there's not a shoulder right next to me or if I'm in a somebody else's car. I tend to get feel really claustrophobic and I don't drive as good as people might like me to drive. <laughs> uh, I tend to granny drive a little bit. Uh, yeah. So talk about music real quick. Yes. Um, so this was done by Nathan Johnson, who has done all of uh, Ryan Johnson's films except for Star Wars because obviously they got John Williams to do that. Um, Nathan Johnson is Ryan Johnson's cousin. Um, I can't remember the name of Nathan's band, but, uh, but, uh, he is, he was like a, I think like an indie rock, uh, artist. And then he was doing, Ryan Johnson was doing Brick and he was like, Hey, will you score this movie? So they scored it with like weird instruments. Like, uh, they did tuned wine glasses. They did straws that he was blowing into and, uh, like pulling, making shorter with his fingers. Uh, just a lot of weird things to try and give it that really off the cuff, but kitchen sink type of feel. Mm -hmm. Uh, and since then he did uh, brother's bloom, which was very like, you know, kind of like 1920s back porch jazz is what he called it. Yeah. And then looper, which, uh, he, like most of the percussion sounds that you hear in Looper, he actually went to a junkyard and was like slamming car doors and uh, beating against things and making music with a lot of found sounds. So he's a very inventive composer. Mm-hmm. Um, he also did the music for uh, Don John, which Joseph Gordon-Levitt uh, wrote, directed, and starred in. Um, what I liked about this movie is it went a little more traditional than I expected, just knowing the type of composer that Nathan Johnson is. But everything about it was just pitch perfect um a lot of it is based around a string quartet mixed with like a small chamber orchestra i think and Mm -hmm. writing for separate string quartet parts with orchestral parts is super hard to do yeah because you know you don't want to just hire a string quartet to play along with the orchestra you want to give them something that they're actually doing and then have the orchestra back them up i wonder who his music team was keep talking i'm gonna yeah um but uh but the way that they did it, it's almost like the string quartet was keeping the constant rhythm. And that's what we were talking about. This movie kind of really kept you propulsive. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is due to the score. Uh, the string quartet was keeping that going. And then the orchestra was just kind of providing the backdrop for it. 
And so it made it feel like Clue, uh, made it feel like the Goonies in a few places to me too. And um, it made me think of, um, and that might be crazy, but it reminded me of Thomas Newman's score for Saving Mr. Banks. It did, because, I mean, that's something that Thomas Newman does a lot with a lot of what they call pizzicato, which is whenever people pluck the strings with their fingers. Yeah. Uh, It had a lot of that in there, but of course, this is definitely a lot more frantic version of it. I think that's a great way to talk about the score is that it was frantic, but not, it was frantic, but focused. Yeah. Um, And again, very propulsive. This honestly is one of the best scores I've heard all year, and it's a bummer that it's going to be ineligible for the Oscars. I know. I want to know what the... What? what? They said it was a clerical error. I don't know what that is, but I know that... uh, I know that often the Oscars are very, uh, they're not very consistent with what they deem eligible for a best original score. Uh, big one recently was, uh, was Birdman. They deemed that ineligible because it used other pieces, but a lot of people think it was just because they were like, well, it's just drums. It's not actual music, which is just a stupid thing to say if that is what they actually thought. That's so stupid. Um, Um, but, uh, but yeah, like it's just. From what I understand, it can be kind of a headache getting even on the short list for Best Original Score, which they released the short list recently, and there are some really interesting ones on there. Uh, I would like to see Michael Abels get a nom for uh, Us, which for those of you who have been with us for a while, you'll remember we did the episode with John Rod, who recorded, recorded and mixed that score, uh, and that's a great score. Um, if you found anything about uh, his music team, I'm still looking. I found every, I found I found all the sound people, which the sound like just the sound design on this is also really great. Like something, I love like simple things. Like someone pulls out a letter opener and it made a, like a shink yeah noise. Like um, it there was this there was this level of of whimsy. Like everything was a little was ever so heightened. Yeah, and it and I think these are all choices that made us as viewers be heightened i figured out how to logline this movie hit me it's if Roald doll decided to do an agatha christie movie love that <laughs> um um so i pulled up the music department on oh, IMDb. i just found it yeah damn it um music editor joseph bond mm-hmm. there's also uh daniel waldman was another music editor uh, Christy Wally uh, recorded and mixed the score, so she was the John Rod on this. Yep. Uh, there are a couple of music clearances and a couple of like uh, trailer music credits. Well, the the score, the how they recorded and mixed is great. And if you're wondering what Jordan and I are talking about, check out our bonus episode on Us, um, which is the Jordan Peele movie, um, and we talked to John Rod, and that you can find out very specifically, especially for that movie what was unique about how they recorded that and why that goes into the way that you hear, like the music of the score of a movie is how it kind of helps. It is another layer of directing emotion, propelling a story. And again, I think because this, this, the story itself isn't twisty and turny. Yeah, it is, but it isn't. Um, they, they deal the hand really early, Yeah, but the whole time you're like, something's not right and it's due i i honestly think it's due to the music yeah i think this movie it's a lot like playing blackjack you may know what your cards are pretty early but you have to wait till the dealer pulls out their final card right and you don't know what everybody else's is by the way christy wally i just looked her up she uh records and mixes a lot of music uh cool yeah so like she did cats she did cats and little women uh this year alone with it Uh, um I know Little Women and Knives Out were filmed in Boston. Yeah, um, she was an she was an editor for Alan Silvestri on uh, Avengers Endgame. She did Dumbo. Uh, she oh, did wow. Fantastic Beasts. Um, I'm just in 2018, and I can't I can't even keep up with how many. Get after yeah. it. Yeah. Love so it. she apparently she's really good, and I appreciate <laughs> what she does. I love it. Well, let's take a quick break because we've gone pretty long, but we've really spent a lot of time this episode kind of getting caught back up. And that's what happens whenever we go weeks without seeing a movie. Um, But yeah, let's take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll finish talking Knives Out. Have you ever looked at all those Insta celebrities and been like, where do you get your raw jewelry because it's gorgeous? Or where did you get that female empowerment shirt? Because I need one. 
But then you think to yourself, I don't want to go shopping because it's too selfish. What if I could tell you you could get awesome apparel, awesome jewelry, and it gives back? You need to check out Rock's Jewelry Shop. That's right, Rock's. R-O-X. Rock's Jewelry Shop has amazing jewelry, and I just got a shirt that says, those females are strong as hell. Thank you, Kimmy Schmidt. You can check out Rock's Jewelry Shop online, and with code DATENIGHT, you'll get 15% off. So head on over to Rock's, R-O-X, JewelryShop.com, code DATENIGHT for 15% off. And we are back talking Knives Out. In this moment, I really wanted to give a good, solid um, Mrs. Doubtfire, hello! I am so glad I got to the microphone first. Fine. (laughs) I'm just kidding. You do that all you want. (laughs) So, yeah, we're kind of in spoiler territory, but honestly, I kind of feel like breaking from our normal thing on this and not really diving too deep into anything super spoilery. Yeah? Yeah, because I think... You said it last night. We were leaving the theater, and you were like, it was so good to just see an original movie. God. Like, and was it like, oh my God, I've never seen a movie like that before? Sorry, I'm moving the mic. I've got... (laughs) It's okay. So I've got this um, 55-pound lap dog. For what it's worth, can't feel my right leg. Can't feel (laughs) it. It's dead. I'll I'll help you get back upstairs. (laughs) I'll give you a piggyback ride. (laughs) But she's so cute. Yeah, you just kind of let her do it. So cute. But yeah, like, yes, have we seen this before? Is it a wheel? Yes, we've seen a wheel before. But this was a really good wheel and a really good car. Yeah, it's like what the the mystery comedy version of what Odd Ostra thought it was doing. Oh, Lord. Um, but no, so like you mentioned that. And again, we'd gone through a lot of what we'd been calling cover band episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, what with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Joker and Odd Ostra. Uh, that we felt particularly refreshed seeing this movie. Yeah, um, agreed. And again, we've seen other movies in between those. You know, I still feel really strongly about Dr. Sleep. Um, I really enjoyed Zombieland. But this did feel refreshing. And I think the way to keep that super refreshing is just, like, let's talk about some stuff, but let's not just go into spoilers and talk about, well, here's how I saw them get from point A to point B to point C. You know, we... I agree with that. And I think, too, um, I, I, I agree, because I'm, I'm honestly feeling a little spirally already. Well, yeah, I think so, too. Um, and I think, like, Dr. Sleep was really good, but Dr. Sleep... We also had a lot more to talk about because you being the Stephen King fan that you yeah. are, and there's the book version. I really wanted to go see that movie again. Yeah. I'm actually excited to see that movie again. Mm-hmm. And I'm really interested to rewatch The Shining and the... Te- like. I'm- are we going to do a Shining Dr. Sleep marathon one day? I don't know about a marathon. For those of you who are new to this podcast, or maybe you haven't picked up on it, but I don't sit down for long periods of time really well. (laughs) Again, that's why I'm really picking my moment with the Irishman. (laughs) Yeah. The Irishman is going to take us an entire day to do. Yeah. Not because it's that long, but because it's long. Y'all, I can't even get through... An hour and a half movie without having to go to the bathroom. Well, real quick, while we're kind of talking about it, let's talk new Hollywood filmmakers real quick. Okay. You don't love Kubrick. No. Is there a Kubrick movie that you're like, I actually wouldn't mind seeing that again? Oh, yeah. Um, Dr. Strangelove. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, How do you feel overall about Scorsese? I, I, I mean, Scorsese, here's the thing about Scorsese. It's kind of like when someone goes, you know what? I'm a young director and, um, I, you know him, you know who I idolize and who I like mirror my movies after? Christopher Nolan. Christopher Nolan, Steven Spielberg, Martin's like, oh, like those names are synonymous with modern filmmaking. They mm-hmm. wrote the rules. You were talking about uh, Goodfellas the other day. Yeah. And it's like, we have, we just finished, um, oh, 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 oh. We lost a Madison. We lost a Madison. Oh, I've got hair that exploded all over me. Um, Scorsese, like there's moments in Marvelous Mrs. Maisel in season three. Those scenes are possible because Scorsese yeah. made them first. I mean, a lot of people talk about how, Goodfellas in particular, 
uh, how influential it was with mob movies. But you look at something like Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. You look at something like I, Tanya. Uh, you look at something like, I mean, of course, there's Blow, but again, Blow is just Good Goodfellas Junior. Yeah. Uh, but like, or I, to me, it was more Scarface. A little bit, yeah. <clears throat> but you look at all the, you look at all these movies that aren't traditionally like thought of like as, oh, they really must have watched their Martin Scorsese, uh, and you see the Goodfellas influence in it. Right now, if you hear a bunch of bumping and stuff that I don't edit out, Jessica's trying to get Madison back up on her lap. Well, because Madison was looking at me like I had done something horribly wrong. You know, we're not going to be too much longer here, Maddie. <laughs> uh, thank you so much. Um, I'm back. Um, <laughs> so, so I'm also asking that because, you know, it's like, okay, well, we're talking Dr. Sleep. That means that we'll have to start revisiting some Kubrick Possibly. You know, we're talking The Irishman. I want to make sure that I'm not just being like, okay, let's watch a four-hour Stanley Kubrick movie. Like, that's how it's going to make you feel, you know? Oh, I see what you're asking. Yeah. Um, no, I don't think that's the case. Um, I mean, when I think of Scorsese, too, if I think of, like, a modern Scorsese, I'm thinking The Departed. The Departed is such a great movie. Right. So, Scorsese is iconic, but Scorsese didn't let his art form die. Yeah. He has his way of talking, right? He has his lens. Mm-hmm. Right? He has his lens and he looks at it through there, but it's not a dead art. And um like and I and it has the same feel. Just like when you watch a Clint Eastwood movie, you know that feel. You mm-hmm. know that it's in it. the colors are grays. Yeah. And they're um I whenever I see whenever I think of a Clint Eastwood movie, I think also pixelation. Yeah. If that makes any I can, sense, I can see that, yeah. Um, and, um, and grit, right? I just mm-hmm. think grit. So Scorsese has his feel. Don't get me wrong. Like there's an inherent danger. There's the, as they said in the holiday, the Scorsese red. Yeah. Right. You get that feel. Um, you get the grayness of New England mixed in with the red. Like he's got danger, right? Whenever mm-hmm. you see a Scorsese movie, you know there's danger. You know, I think a way that you could really talk about Scorsese, and of course, you know, I hope you're enjoying our Knives Out conversation, but Scorsese Scorsese doesn't let his style define him. He defines the style. And I say that because think about how many different styles of movies he makes. I mean, he, he makes almost as many documentaries now as he does narratives. And whenever he does uh, narratives, I mean, you like... Not only you have like Goodfellas, Wolf of Wall Street, Departed, but you have Gangs of New York, you have Hugo, mm-hmm. uh, you have uh, After Hours, uh, and you have The Color of Money, like, and Last Temptation of Christ too. Yeah, you know, so like he's a guy who he's a guy who I think unfairly gets typecast because of all the people who come after him. Right. Um, what made you want to talk about this? Because we were talking about Irishman, we were talking about uh, Stanley Kubrick, and you said that you were talking about how you didn't... No, just... I know, but what what made you want to talk about, like, new, like... <laughs> Mostly, it was Stanley Kubrick and Martin Scorsese. Uh, that, I just wanted to talk about those two. It's also giving giving an insight to how long it might take us to get to the Irishman. Oh, okay. It was, it was kind of my back door into this conversation, I suppose. Uh, but I think that's honestly us having this little this little offshoot of a conversation is saying something good about knives out because for those of you who listen who've been listening to us for the last year and a half you know that whenever we really like a movie it gets us really excited about movies and overall like we said this year has been kind of a kind of a dredge uh not not a dredge like there were bad movies but like it's been kind of a slog you know between once upon a time in hollywood joker and uh odd Astra. You know, it's been hard to get through. And I think that Knives Out really, like I said, it made us feel refreshed and it kind of made us excited about movies again. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. And like you said, um, Zombieland was good, but Mm -hmm. Zombieland wasn't like, Zombieland was good as a fan of the first Zombieland. Right. It gave you what you needed. It didn't go, it was a good sequel. It's like watching The Simpsons. If you like The Simpsons, you're going to have a good time. Yeah. Dr. Sleep was good. Um, but Dr. Sleep also felt really heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's what we always joke about in Trick or Treat. Like, how like how do you feel about child murder? Yeah. Right? And there's a lot of child murder yeah, it's, in Dr. Sleep. And Trick or Treat is at least done in the style of like a comic book. In Dr. Sleep, it's like, okay, so you want to see Jacob Tremblay get killed? 
It is hard. And, and there's something to be said. And this is something I was talking to a friend with uh, about today. Cause we, so she and I have like some, like our careers have taken some big leaps this year and, you know, in specific. And what does that mean? And how do we continue to make choices? And for me as a storyteller, um, I'm, you know, I, I always feel very more emboldened and passioned by stories that affect us all as families and that speak to our hearts. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean I, I, uh, me as a storyteller shies away from hard things, but I tend to layer it. And I think that's why Knives Out felt so refreshing to me is this was heartfelt. The end of this movie is heart-wrenching. The last shot of this movie is is so good. But also the fact that um, so we are in spoiler territory. Ransom mm-hmm. tried to kill his grandfather. Yeah. But she was so good at her job that she didn't actually screw up. Yeah. And he actually killed himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He died in a really horrific, horrific way. And he was, and he, like, he did it specifically for her, too. And he didn't have to. Yeah. And that's heart-wrenching. This movie is heart wrenching, mm-hmm. but it gave you a ride and it gave you hope. And with Doctor Sleep, it that I mean there was a lot of loss, and it was just a lot of loss. Yeah, and I think curtailing one we've. One, I've been in a spiral of really, really difficult work and difficult stories mm-hmm. in my personal life as a storyteller. So maybe as a, as viewers with that aren't in the middle of hard sto- telling hard stories, maybe it's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. But that's just where I am in my in my story. Yeah. So seeing Doctor Sleep and watching people get horrifically murdered and families being split apart, that there's really little to no hope yeah but there was full of hope but it still felt very very dry, like it's a stephen king hope it's always it's always bittersweet it's like 96 percent chocolate or right. cocoa right and you're like boy that's hard yeah this is very difficult whereas knives out if i think really hard about it um the end makes me want to weep mm-hmm. but knowing that truth yeah um but knowing, and it was something that the detective said at the end. He goes, you won not because you played it Harlan's way. You won because you played it yours. Yeah. And it's the old, it's the age old story of the purest heart wins. Yeah. Yeah. The, the whole reason that she won is because she thought she was about to send herself to prison by, uh, trying, to, by trying to save uh, Fran. She she knew that she was setting herself up for failure. It turns out that that was the, that was the whole thing that cleared her and allowed her to win everything at the end. Yeah. But she didn't know that at the time. She was just doing it because she's like, no, I can't, I can't let this person die. Right. And I just that's why this movie's so refreshing. It didn't have to be. So, it was solemn. Mm-hmm. It's solemn. Yeah. But it and it's heartbreaking and it hits you where it's supposed to hit you. I th- but I it's think, not it's not also grim. Well, I think what helps keep it lighter at the end cuz you know, it could have just ended on all that and it would have been like kind of a bummer ending. But what helps keep it there is whenever she's like, you know, that family needs help. Do you think I should help them? And Daniel Craig's like, "Well, I know what I'd do, but I get the feeling that you're going to do something different." And the last shot of the movie is of the family looking up at her when she's on the balcony with uh, Harlan's cup that says, "Like my house, my rules, whatever." My house, my rules, my coffee. Yeah, um, and she's just drinking it while they're all looking at her. And knowing her character, I think that she probably would help them, but she's also going to do it her way. And so it's a, it's a really great ending for that. Uh, I just loved everything about this movie. I feel I feel about this movie the way I do whenever I watch a movie like Fargo is that it makes me want to it makes me want to live in other movies. Uh, like I just want to keep going. Um, one thing I said to you last night, and I want to make sure to say it here, is Don Johnson has made a really interesting career lately playing charming racists. 
uh, <laughs> between Django Unchained and then uh, Watchmen and this one where it's all just like casual get out style racism or first half of get out I guess uh, but like like the scene where the scene where he's like no get in here I mean like you came in legally you worked hard and I'm just sitting here like oh god I know like five of that same person yeah uh, no I, I just love I just love this movie and Another thing I wanted to mention too is that I'll—I can't remember if I said this earlier in the episode, but I always talk about the idiot plot, uh, which is the Roger Ebert term about whenever the audience is like five steps ahead of the, of the characters, and it just drives us crazy, uh, seeing them catch up to where we are all already are. Great example of that in an episode that we've done is Fantastic Beasts Two. Yeah, it's like we know that it was just a misunderstanding. St- both of you stop being so dense. Um, this movie. In the hands of a lesser filmmaker would have been an idiot plot movie because yeah. it played its hand very early on what actually happened. The whole thing is you're not actually trying to find out who killed Harlan. You end up just wanting to see how the story is going to unfold. And then you find out at the end, it gives you an answer that you didn't even know that you wanted. Right. So I I mean, to jump the gun on your next question, yes, go see this movie. Go see this movie. Uh, I want to see it again. You know, even knowing what happens, it was just, it was so pleasing to be watching something made by somebody who I consider to be a master filmmaker uh, with master filmmakers as his support team, as the composer, the uh, editor, the cinematographer, and then all these actors who are currently at the top of their game. There wasn't a weak actor in this movie. No, it was great. And I... I want to I want to consume that again. Yeah. It's great. And it's it's I have a feeling watching it again too will will reveal even more. Yeah. Um Yeah, I'm excited to see this again. Awesome. Well, should we end it here? I think so. Alright, well with that being said, I'm Jordan. I'm Jess. And we will see you next time. Ooh.